Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Live from Pawnee. This week, we're going to change it up a little bit. Instead of walking through an episode of the show, we're going to do something special. And by we, of course, I mean myself, as well as my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you doing this week? Alan, I'm doing great. Thanks, man. I'm really looking forward to today's show. How about you? Absolutely. I am too. Well, today is a first for us, Mark. We're having our first mailbag day. That's right, Alan. You know, the mailroom is bustling here at LFP Worldwide Headquarters. We can barely keep up with the flood of viewer mail. Mark, they're not viewers. But you know, it strikes me as strange that so many of our listeners have resorted to writing in with pen and paper when everything else about our show is digital. Well, I'm, uh, I'm responsible for that. What do you mean? Well, you know, Alan, I'm kind of an old-fashioned guy. Uh -huh. uh, so I, I, I had our, our intern, uh, Constantine, uh, transcribe all the questions our viewers have sent in uh, so that they're written down on paper. You know, I, I think Constantine is is getting carpal tunnel at this point, but you know what? I think it's worth it. Wait a minute. What what happened to Larry? When Larry our intern? Who the hell's Constantine? Uh, well, you know, I had to let Larry go. Uh, he he just he wasn't working out. Uh, but uh, uh, Constantine is all about following orders. All right, Mark. Let me get this straight. Uh huh. You read the questions that our viewers sent in to our website from livefrompawnee.com, right? They're, they're not viewers, but yeah. Then you called our unpaid intern, I mean, Constantine. Uh-huh. And you told him to read the questions online. Uh-huh. And had him write them down. Uh-huh. And because you're a, quote, old-fashioned guy. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I like the feel of pen and paper. <sighs> Wow. Anyway, let's let's go through some of these questions. Okay, Mark, that's a good idea. Why don't you hand me one of those questions that Constantine wrote down? What? Oh, don't bother. You can just read them online. <laughs> My God. All right, Mark, let's begin. Where do you want to start? Oh, uh, let's see. Scrolling through, scrolling through. Thank you, Constantine. Um, oh, how about this one? Um, it reads, Dear Mark and Alan, what do you think of Leslie Nope's mother? Oh, that's a good one. Well, Mark, you know what? Uh, to be fair to our viewers, why don't you set this up a little bit and, and tell us about Leslie's mom? You got it. They're not viewers. Okay. Um, so I, I would say that, you know, so far in, in season one, at least, uh, well, and so far for the whole thing that we've watched, Leslie's mother, Marlene, Marlene Griggs Nope, has appeared in three episodes. Okay. And they've all been within season one. So there was episode two canvassing. Yep. And that was where Leslie invited her to uh, her very first town hall. Yep. There was episode five, the banquet, where uh, Leslie's mother was receiving the Tellinson Award for public service. And there was episode six, a rock show, which depending on if you watch the producer's cut or not, there was either a, a scene with her, uh, with mm. Pamela Reed. Or it was just her on the telephone. But either way, Leslie's mother kind of set her up on a blind date with the 62-year-old city manager from Eagleton. There you go. Yeah. So as I recall, you know, what do I think of her? I think I can probably sum it up by telling you what Ron thinks of her. As I oh, recall, please. Ron said she he gave her a nickname because she's so terrifying. And it's the Iron Shredder of Pawnee. Oh, 
that is actually a great way to sum it up. I'm I, I'm going to take a slightly more tactful route, although I, I definitely agree with that. Uh-huh. And, and I'll say that I, I like the character of Leslie Nope a lot. And I've said that before on several podcasts. And, and because of that, I want what's best for doggone. And I know it's cheesy, sure. but, you know, I want I want her to have an awesome, supportive mom. And so it makes me sad every anytime her mother is well, her, um, you know, yeah. it, it seems like she toggles back and forth between either being kind of ho-hum about her relationship with Leslie or she's intervening in a way that is either questionable blackmail or insulting blind date, you know? Yeah. So I think especially early in the early episodes, that's totally true. Later on, you know, as the series goes on, I think it changes a little bit and for the better. I think I've already said that. So I'm not saying anything new here, but right. You know, in this context, I, we're kind of putting up with this version of her for a while. Um, and while I think it's probably funny on paper, it's it's kind of funny on video. Yeah, I I, I guess I would say that's true. Um, you know, if, if I had to to speculate, you know, just from what we've seen of of Leslie and <laughs> how over the top she can be, I'm sure to be to be fair to uh, uh, Ms. Uh, Marlene Griggs. Nope, it probably was not an insignificant effort effort to be her mother <laughs> while she was growing up. But, no, I'm pretty sure she was a pistol. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is that clearly uh, and raised you know, her on her own. I think, you know, her, her spouse, uh, Robert, as I, I came to learn later, is deceased. I'm going to guess that he died sometime when Leslie was still pretty young. I'm not sure mm-hmm. we ever get foundation for that, but I, I think it's implied for sure. So, you know, you're right. I mean, she she was holding down a full-time important job and raising, uh, you know, the little whip, whippersnapper, Leslie, uh, who, who had to be a handful. And uh and, you know, she's got some interesting proclivities to begin with. Right. And, and also, I would say, I guess, to be to be fair to her as a as a character, she's obviously very smart. Yep. And she's obviously uh, very savvy. I mean, this is I, I think this is true. And you tell me if you disagree. I think that she has to be one of the main, if not the main uh, inspiration inspirations rather for Leslie to go down the route that she's gone. Sure. Yeah. Her mom's in an important role in the school system and, uh, you know, a big wig as she calls her. And, uh, you know, that, that Leslie has seen a, a, a woman in a powerful position and admires that. And most of her other icons outside her mom are also powerful women in politics. So yeah, that's, uh, what set her on this course for sure. That's a great point. The the last thing I can think of to say is, you know, whether or not I like Leslie's mother as far as her interactions with Leslie and how she treats her, I love Pamela Reed. I know we've said this oh, yeah, before, terrific. but I think she she yeah. she does a great job and she's very funny. And and so I enjoy it when she's on scene. Um, I just wish that she was, I guess, a more appropriate mom for Leslie, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, some of the moments are pretty funny, I got to admit, but, you know, they also created a little more than a little bit of cringe at the, at certain moments, for sure. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. absolutely. I, I'll say one quick thing about Pamela Reed. We, we both agree we really like her. Um, you know, I think the first time I ever saw her was probably in the movie Kindergarten Cop. Um, yep. That's the first one I can remember until I looked her up again. And then I realized she had been in the right stuff um, mm. and, and a couple of other movies from that from that era. So she's she's been in some really great movies. Uh, she was in Junior with uh, <laughs> Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, yeah, some, some really funny movies. Interesting. All right. Nice. All right. Well, I'm going to pick another question. All right. Ready for this? 
I am so ready. All right. Dear Mark and Alan, what do you guys think of mockumentaries like Parks and Rec and The Office? Oh, I like that one. I like that one a a lot. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) All right. Who do you want to go first? Um, I'll say something short and then you can react to it and then we'll just go from there. I think The Office is brilliant. I think Parks and Rec is brilliant in a similar but different way. And I think that the intention of Parks and Rec was to kind of be the next thing, the next sequel to The Office, if you will. And we've joked about this on the podcast to date about, you know, uh, uh, about um, Rashida Jones being, you know, uh, a potential, you know, a mole. <laughs> she's <laughs> yeah. she's in, she's. I, lo- I love the the foil helmet theory that, you know, she's the same character she played on The Office, but in witness protection, hiding out in Pawnee, Indiana. And, you know, actually on paper, it's not that crazy, right? I mean, Pawnee's is supposed to be this tiny little town. And if you got to hide out somewhere, you know, it's not a bad place to hide out. Look, say what you want. The theory has not been disproven. Good point. Yeah. It's a good point. Well, hopefully one day we can get, uh, you know, Mike Schur and Greg Daniels on our podcast. Uh, I've offered them lots of money and they have not responded except with that restraining order. But if it ever happens, we can ask them. Well, look, I've already had Constantine on it. All right. He's going to go <laughs> camp outside their house. He's Does he have an uncle in the business? Please tell me he has an uncle in the business. He actually does. It's funny you should say that. Yeah. Terrific. Yep. Let's work that angle. Um, You know, I was thinking about this question and at first, I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm one of the, you know, co-hosts of the one of the premier, uh, you know, podcasts <laughs> here. So clearly, yeah, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm an expert. Internationally look, acclaimed. Look, you don't get to where we are at LFP Worldwide Headquarters by, you know, by collecting bottle caps. You know, you got to you got to know what you're doing. Well, not just um, bottle caps, but yeah. They help. Um, I like pogs. <laughs> But yeah, you know, I I was thinking about this and, you know, you mentioned The Office and of course, Parks and Rec, duh. And and I agree with you. I think both shows are brilliant in different ways. And I was thinking about it and I I realized I'm really not as versed in the whole mockumentary, um, I guess, paradigm or style as I thought I was. I mean, how much of a documentary person are you? I think because, again, they're obviously, you know, a play on each other or, well, mockumentaries a play on documentary. How many documentaries do you watch? Not a lot of people watch documentaries. I think the people who watch them watch lots of them. And then the rest of us, I include myself in that, even though I like a good documentary, I don't seek them out. Um, I Every once in a while, someone says, oh my gosh, you got to watch this. And sometimes I do, and I really, really enjoy it. But that's not like my vibe. You know what I mean? I don't go out after them. I I, I want to, I want to want to, yeah. but I just don't. Yeah, I was I was thinking that exact same point, actually. I am not, um, I'm not a documentary guy. Um, but I, I will say this. I, I think that this approach with the mockumentary, I, I really like it. Um, you know, it, it to me, it seems fresh and creative. It offers opportunities for things to happen that I don't think could happen any other way. Like, for example, I love um, the talking heads, Alan. I mm-hmm. love, uh, yeah. you know, whenever you have a, a point in the story or the plot that you need someone to give some much needed exposition about what's going on or what they think about something or what they're feeling or what they're planning you can do that and you can do it all without seeming awkward because they're talking to the camera, you know? Um, Otherwise it would just be like, you know, me saying, gosh, Alan, let me tell you about what's going through my mind right now. And you're like, okay, that's dumb. 
Alan didn't want to hear that. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I know we've talked about before uh, is all the great um, tricks that you can do with the camera. Like yep. one is zooming in for uh, spy shots. You know, you zoom in from far away and you give the audience the distinct impression that they're um, they're listening to something or seeing something that they really shouldn't be. It kind of makes yeah. you feel like as the audience, like you're like you're actually the one sneaking around and yeah, it's true. Being privy to all this stuff. And that's a really cool thing. Yep. It's usually from behind a plant or something, you know, fuzzy and obscure is in the way between the camera and the, the uh, you know, the two or three people in that conversation. And we're just happen to be dropping in on it because they've forgotten that they're all wearing body mics. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the only thing I would say is, um, you know, it, it occurred to me, usually when I watch the show, <clears throat> I watch it like I usually do. I just let my mind go on autopilot. I relax. I don't think yeah. too hard about things for crying out yeah. loud. This is a sitcom, right? Right. I mean, apart so you got to talk the, about it every week. <laughs> <laughs> apart from the, That's oh, well, that's right? a good point. Yeah. Um, so I, I'll say it like this for me, particularly because, you know, I think suspicion of disbelief, suspension of disbelief is fairly easy. Yeah. However, I will say that every now and again, it will occur to me for whatever reason that for a certain shot or a certain screen or whatever it is, it seems extremely unlikely or improbable that the, in quotes, documentary crew would be where they happen to be to get the shot that they are, you know, either yeah, because they're like within someone's house or like, you know, I, I'm making stuff up, but like, you know, if someone got kidnapped, you know, would you really have a documentary crew member in the trunk of the car with you? I mean, like, like how would that happen? And then for a split second, I'll go, wait a minute, that's not right. And then, yeah. you know, a second later I laugh real hard and then, you know, I forget about it. Well, and both the office and parks and rec have great examples of, you know, that kind of um, the journalistic, um, you know, principle, I guess, that, you know, the, the crew is not there to intervene or interfere in any way. They need to let whatever's happening happen without influencing it and show it, you know, uh, Michael falling in the koi pond, for example, or, you know, I mean, just all kinds of things, driving his car into the, into Lake Scranton there, because the GPS told him to in the office. Oh, then, yeah, yeah. Uh, numerous examples here in Parks and Rec as well, um, where, you know, maybe in real life that, you know, that person might say, hey, you know, don't drive into that lake because um, I don't want to get my $10,000 camera wet. Um, nope, but they might not. Film it. You never know. They're just going to film it. Uh, I mean, let <laughs> it happen. This is good comedy. Let it happen. Right, right. Uh, yeah, because for $10,000, you can't make this stuff up. No, this but, is gold, uh, Jerry. <laughs> nice. But, um, well, have you, you know, and, and then I think the other thing that's interesting too in terms of mockumentary slash documentary is, you know, who did, did the office or we know the office came before Parks and Rec. So did the office invent this? No. Um, you know, I, I went, did a little bit of side research on this one because uh, I've seen a lot of mockumentaries in the past. You know what the first one is that I can remember? I don't know first? if this, I, I'm sorry. I don't know if this is where you were going, but the first yeah. ones that I can remember were the movies starting with Spinal Tap. Yep. Spinal Tap is definitely one of them, but you know, again, not the earliest for sure. Um, there are works going back to the thirties. Um, wow. and, and some people even say kind of war of the worlds in some way with Orson Welles, the radio show, which was like 1938 or so was also kind of a, a mockumentary in a way it was, it was basically, you know, an April fool's joke and people took it seriously. 
Um, you know, oh, throughout the yeah. 60s and 70s, there's a bunch of stuff, um, including some Monty Python, uh, you know, TV era stuff before they mm. started doing their movies. And, you know, I think by that point, obviously, those Spinal Tap folks, including Rob Reiner, obviously highly influenced by what came earlier and Monty Python's Flying Circus and such. And so I think that's uh, what caused them to do that for Spinal Tap. But th that's certainly the first one I can remember that I I realized, oh, this is funny. We see what they're doing here. Um, you know, and that that crew, those, you know, those folks like Christopher Guest and Michael McKeon, you know, Harry Shearer, um, yep. you know, th they influenced so many. And then that group kind of stayed somewhat intact with Best in Show and uh, A Mighty a Wind. Mighty Wind. Yeah. Yep. And those mm -hmm. great films. I mean, we love those. We're big fans of those. And and they all kind of carry on that mockumentary style as well. So, you know, the, this genre really speaks to me. And it's probably one of the reasons I really like The Office and Parks and Rec as much as I do, I'm going to guess. That That's really interesting. Uh, I, I had never considered um, War of the Worlds a mockumentary. I, I think you're right when I think about I, it. I, if you I bake it down just on principle, right, you've got this radio announcer describing all this horrific stuff going on around them that's totally fictional, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the general premise of what's happening in a mockumentary. You're being shown or told something that isn't real, but it's, you know, it's through the lens of the reporter, so to speak. Right. I mean, that's that's really what's going on here at a base level. So, yeah, it's it's hard to argue with that. But I hadn't thought I, of it either. I think I think ultimately you're right. I think the only feeble <laughs> pushback that I would offer is and this is just because I like to make up rules that I then say are the rules. Um, yeah, you've done this to me before and it pisses me <laughs> off every time and you know it. I know. But go ahead. Because like, it's not canon if it was in the deleted scenes. Like, Constantine is rolling on the floor. You okay. Know, so he, he clearly agrees. Uh -huh. um, I pay him the laugh at my jokes. <laughs> I do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, usually when I think of a mockumentary, I think of it as a very meta sort of thing. And I'm going to really be clumsy describing this. But you know, if you have someone talking to a camera person and then you, you know, address them as a camera person, that's filming you kind of breaking the fourth wall. Is that kind of, yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm not saying that that's the only sort of mockumentary I'm, but what I will say is that when I think of the, for me, the quintessential, you know, mockumentary that I remember yeah. going back to Spinal Tap, that's kind of what I think of. I think well, that's probably agreed. why it didn't occur to me that like, like your, your comment about Monty Python, I know exactly what scenes you're talking about. And I think that you're spot on. Yeah. It's, it's missing maybe that one little thing that would have made it kind of click for me, but that's true. Well, and it was different, obviously, at the time. And, and, you know, and the War of the Worlds piece, I mean, last, last thought on that is, obviously, that's radio. So there's no visual element to give you that kind of, you know, putting you inside the joke thing, which is probably why, you know, it kind of failed in a way and, and people took it seriously, which they were not expecting. There's a lot of, a uh, lot of stories have been written about some of the panic that ensued real life panic. Oh, and yeah. It's kind of mm -hmm. crazy to think. So thankfully, you know, no one watched Spinal Tap and, um, and took it too seriously. Although I did, I did turn my amp up to 11 and short it out, but you know, short of that. Well, I was also in a band for a while and our drummer blew up, but I mean, <laughs> other, other than that, no, I agree with you. So I, don't know, I think we kind of talked through that one. You ready to go on to another one? Yeah, let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, here's a good one. Uh, okay. They say, uh, dear Mark and Alan, 
Why did Ron sign up for a job he clearly hates? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a really good one. I've seen real life examples where this is very true. There, there are people in these roles and, you know, as much as they gripe about that role or, uh, you know, how much they hate it and they show up every day, there's a, there's a funny piece in, you know, um, uh, office space where, you know, he's telling Peter, you know, I probably hate my job as much as you do, but I don't whine as much. Yeah. It was after he got his all, his everything yeah. broken. <laughs> got his settlement. Yep. Um, but, but, uh, I, and again, why don't those people leave those jobs and what attracts them to that type of role in the first place? I don't know. I mean, I guess someone could say, well, Ron, you know, didn't like government. So he kind of wanted to go in there and foil it. You know, he wanted to cause it to not be effective because he doesn't believe in it. Yeah. See, but, I, I could, I could see just off the top of my head, I could see something like, like that going three different ways. Yeah. I could see you liking a job and that's why you went for it. I could see taking the job because you need it, but then you never really found anything better and your life never went anywhere. And, <laughs> and, you know, I'm not talking from personal experience. I'm just saying, um, and then, and then, you, you know, you're stuck there much longer than you thought you were going to be. And then the, I third, think we've all kind of had that job. Oh yeah, of course. Um, and then the third would be maybe the more, um, interesting slash insidious, which is, you know what, I'm going to take this job because I believe in the thing that the job is about or represents or whatever, and it's not being done right. And damn it, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to, I'm going to correct it from the inside, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or blow it up from the inside. Right. (laughs) I mean, in all seriousness, I think it'd be somewhat naive to believe you're going to go into a mid-level government job in a small town and fix anything. Um, now, you could go in and certainly wreak some havoc or make some easy money because you don't really intend to do anything and you doubt that anybody's going to do anything about it. That seems a lot more likely to me. Um, obviously, it's in the show because it's funny. <laughs> but right, right. Know, in real life, why would he have taken that job, you know? Um and that's what I was going to say, you know, from a, obviously from a show story or, or plot perspective, it makes sense that he's there for a number of reasons. He acts as a counterpoint to Leslie and, you know, and, and, and he, I, you know, he, I, I think he, of all the people on the show with maybe the exception, a uh, possible exception of Leslie is the person with the strongest beliefs and convictions. And that's a good point. That's why I like him and Leslie yeah. kind of kind of pairing off yeah yeah and especially because they're opposing because you know that's conflict yeah. and conflict produces comedy and you know that's that's good stuff yeah. um but it, but i agree with you in real life it's it's harder to justify um i mean even even after you know you and i have watched the whole series it, i think the, the direct answer is we don't know we really like we it still seems very odd to me that ron would have the position he does now what i would love to be if i could i need to borrow your time machine and and I need to be a fly on the wall when Ron first got the job. Cause I would, yeah. I would love to know like what was in his brain if he's been there for, and I'm not making excuses for my boy, Ron, he's awesome. But you know, if he's been there for a while and he just wants to tough it out or whatever. Okay. Whatever. But yeah. I would love to know what it was going through his head when he first took the job. Like, is he trying to do something? Was he desperate? So eh, I don't know. I think you're onto something, Mark and the Ron Swanson prequel. I think it's something I think, you know, we could do oh, it, I you love know, it, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, how yeah. cool would that be? I, I, I bet more than a few people would tune into that. Look, I don't know if you've heard of these 
superhero uh, movies that have been like really they're they're a big thing, Alan. And here and they're marvelous. So they're they are uh, they are. I don't know a thing for DC, uh, but yeah, they are. Uh, so marvelous, you stole it. Um, but you know, one of the of the things that they often have uh, is they have the origin story. Like you know, okay, ah, blah blah yeah. blah. But how did they become yeah. the super powered? You know spider thing that yeah, they are. Peter Parker and the radioactive spider, right? That's right. Spider-Man. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then Batman, and the radioactive, that's not no, how it worked. Um, that's not that. And Superman and the radio. No. Look, the point is everybody loves a good origin story, <laughs> right? Constantine. Yeah. So I, I oh. think that, I, I think that who wouldn't want to suck see up. Constantine's a suck up. Tell him I said so. No, don't listen. You're doing it. Here's a five. Go go buy yourself something. Um, so I, I think who wouldn't want to see the origin story for Ron Swanson? I think that you're onto something. I think that that would be I think that would be fun to write. And I think it would be fun to watch. I agree. You know, I, I think we got to take that on and maybe we can get, uh, you know, um, Nick Offerman to do a cameo, maybe as Ron's grandpa or something. I don't know. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, Ron you know Swanson. what? I didn't consider that. Maybe his family has been in government. And so he went into a government job because that's what the family typically does. And uh, form, you know, and has formulated this kind of anti counter opinion over time. I don't know. See, I thought that the, I thought that this is a okay. spoiler. I thought that later in the series, so like season seven. Yeah, I thought we got a few very, very rare glimpses of his family Emily Swanson and, and they I think were, you're right yeah and I can't remember all the details but I think that they ended up like being you know <laughs> they're manly men I remember yeah, that yeah. Much. I just don't remember specifically what <laughs> they're woodworking yeah. bristly yeah, yeah, yeah. hair yeah. face yeah. hair and yeah. you know that mustache he's not it's a third or fourth generation mustache oh my gosh it's been handed down literally the the, the lineage of the mustache alone would take pages yeah yeah you don't get a mustache that thick on your own no way no way all right mark let's take one last question because we're getting a little short on time here all right dear mark and alan what are some of your top leslie moments for season one? Oh, that's a good one i like it yeah um gosh what would be some of my top ones um well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you the first one that I, I distinctly remember that stands out to me. And I think I talked about this, you know, in the, in the pilot in episode one, the first Leslie, oh my gosh, you're kind of insane moment that I really got from her was when she uh, did the pinky promise thing. Mm-hmm. When, when, when she and Anne first met and she promised Anne that she was going to. That's in the pilot, right? Yeah, it's in the pilot. And, um, you know, she gets this, this uh, very, very intense almost creepy like oh this isn't just a promise this is a pinky promise like pinky promise yeah. all of you like mm, <laughs> you're a little scary maybe you should not be that much <laughs> but yeah it, i i definitely remember pinky promising because i can't i can't think that anybody else in government would do the you know the ultimate you know promise the pinky promise other well, than leslie i i think you know she at this moment she has realized that you know she actually has a some power as limited as it is to influence something and make it, uh, you know, make something better, which is, I, 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 is her DNA, right? It's why she's in government. Um, yep. As much as we can't figure out why Ron is, we do know why Leslie is. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's really to, to find these moments and then go do something to serve people. So I think she's a servant at heart and uh, Pinky promises her way of saying, I'm going to get this done. 
I like it. I like it. Yep. How about you? What's one of your moments? Um, you know, I think uh, I had I had that one. That was one of mine. Uh, the town hall there. I really enjoyed that. I think the next one was for me was probably the <laughs> her when she got for the for the banquet and uh, she gets the mayor uh, cut at Salvatore's. Um, <laughs> she's. <laughs> Les only Leslie could get that haircut and not realize what's going to happen next because of it. She's just that, you know, uh, I, I would want to say self-absorbed. She's just not that self-aware yet or naive. Right. I don't know what it is. Um, innocent for sure. <laughs> yeah. And she owns it. She's like, yep, this oh, is yeah. it. And it's great. And you guys can all suck it because this haircut's great. And I don't care what she, you say. She went out of her way to get it. It wasn't an accident, right? Like Salvatore right, right. didn't mess up and give her kind of a guyish looking haircut. She, she, she thought this is a power cut. This is going to make a statement. And it did. I think Leslie is the only one who could have gotten that haircut and and not have known what was going to happen next, um, either through naivete or or whatever. But she, she, like you said, she owned it for sure. Yep, I agree. How about you, Mark? What are the, whether there were Leslie moments? You know, I, I would say um, this is probably more of a quick Leslie quote, so I don't know that there's a ton to to analyze or talk about. Okay. But, and surprisingly enough, this is coming from the episode that I scored a one. This is coming from the second episode, the one okay. that brought out Grumpy Mark, um, which, 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 you know what, just goes to show, as I've said before, even a one in the Parks and Rec universe, yeah. it's, it's not bad. Yeah, it's, it's a good really point. Not. You have said that. So <clears throat> here is, here's the quote I love. Leslie is describing her mother, Marlene Griggs, nope, <laughs> and she says, my mother is, and I quote, as respected as Mother Teresa, <laughs> as powerful as Stalin, and as beautiful as Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> now, I, I I question if maybe she could have got a little bit more um, yeah. complimentary or creative with some of the directions she went, but I uh -huh. think that that the you know her intent is quite clear. Absolutely, and I don't know which of those as Leslie's mom is the most offensive, but. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie doesn't mean it that way. No. Oh no. Oh, she she's very sincere about it. But you know, that's part but of that's, her charm. It is part of her charm. That's 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 Leslie, and that's how you end up with a haircut like that too. So, <laughs> you know, I think one of my final ones, and then we'll see if you've got one, and we'll then we'll 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 let everybody go for the week. But um, boys club. I <laughs> again, mine's kind of a line. I I, I like that episode, but there was there was one specific line where. She's out there in the courtyard and they're the guys in the boys club, you know, the, the city planners, they're all sitting around at these tables right. and she goes to lean on the table and be really hip and cool. And the table flips up in the air and crashes. Crashed, yeah. And, and she goes, see, already shattering the glass ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> I so, do remember that. I, enjoyed I thought that, that was a highlight of that episode. Uh, um, you know, I was, I was also thinking, um, I had I had two thoughts. Both of them are pretty brief. One of them is from um, episode four as well. Um, and, you know, I, I know I've commented on how I enjoy uh, good physical comedy um, and and Amy Poehler is very good at it. And, you know, as the viewers um, may remember in season four, or Mark, season they're four, not viewers. Uh, well, well, debatable um, that they're nodding at me. They can see me. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> Right, Constantine. That's right. Um, oh God. So, so she she has these talking heads 
like she's doing a presidential address where the camera is straight on and and she has three of these in that uh, episode and you know each time she's addressing like the this great wrong that she's committed with the 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 gift basket and the yep. last one she is so distraught that she's just blubbering uncontrollably and you know mm. I, I i won't even try to do it justice but she's just like you know good evening god logan do you do it i don't want to talk about it anymore and it's just nonsense but it just cracks me up every single time um the, the last thing i was going to mention and then i think i've i've kind of run the gamut um i'll just make this very simple rock show Leslie turning down Mark because you know what? Screw him. Yeah. Good for her. That's it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> it's, it's about time, right? It is about time at that point for sure. And, and you yeah. know, I think this is, this is a hard question to answer here in the season one wrap up, right? Which is kind of what we did this week. I think, you know, if we ask us this question at the end of season two and season three and season four, you're going to get totally different answers. And there's going to be a lot more to choose from every season in terms of great Leslie moments, great Ron moments, great everybody moments, frankly. Uh, and, and yet as much as we and other people have said that, you know, season one kind of not our favorite, like you said, it's still better than a lot of TV out there. And there was something there, something important enough, something deep enough that NBC said, let's do another season. And we all came back for another season and thank goodness. Right. So that's all I'll say about that. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I think I've made the comment before and, and especially towards the, the, um, the beginning of season one as we first started this podcast that a lot of times i would look at the first few episodes and say are they good enough to make me want to come back and yeah. the, and and yes they were i mean were they were they rough um yeah a little i mean it, it's especially if you looked at you know what heights they achieved but um I, I tell you what for me i'm i'm also you know you and i are big fans of the office as well and right. I, for me, and I'm guessing you were probably the same way. Um, you're very familiar with The Office. Love The Office. This this spinoff in air quotes. This spinoff <laughs> occurred. Right. Uh, the show Parks and Rec. You know, watching season one, it hasn't reached its zenith yet. So it kind of felt like the the the, the little sister of of mm. The Office. Like like I, I don't want to say in an inferior way, but yeah, it, it wasn't quite there yet. And and yeah. yet I I think season two actually at the at the end of season one i think it started to come into its own and say you know what i'm not your little anything i'm I'm here to rub shoulders with you yeah i think if rock show hadn't been so strong the likelihood of a season two would have been far far less personally um you know that that to me was what kind of said okay we like the trajectory right and our scoring our our little sebastian scoring has kind of reflected this as well we agree so um yeah you know, Absolutely. I was reviewing, I was reviewing our scoring just, this is apropos of nothing. Yeah. And I realized that the, the farthest that you and I have ever been, uh, have deviated from each other's scores has been one point. Yeah. I noticed it, that too. And yeah. that was episode two where yeah. I just completely went to grumpy Mark and said, you can go honk Herman one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you gave it a two, I think I did. And yeah. besides that episode, I think we've either been in a total agreement or we've been within like half a point. A of half a point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what half a little Sebastian is. He's already pretty small, but you know, it's a small unit of measure either way. Uh, tiny Sebastian. <laughs> I like it. Did Constantine come up with that? Cause he's pretty funny. 
he is hysterical. Uh, I, I don't know his uh, country of origin, but <laughs> they make great cars. Oh, my God. All right. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This has been great. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Oh, fantastic. I can't wait. Bye, everybody. Take care. Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of the creators. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompawnee.com for more details or to contact us.